Hello, welcome to the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast for the week of October 4, 2015. This is episode 272, and I am Chris Bevelo, EVP at Revive Health. With me today is... Dana Weymouth, Operations Manager at Revive Health. Hey, Dana, how are you? Doing great. Happy uh, it's Friday. Happy it's Friday. That's right. And to celebrate Friday, we got a couple special guests with us. We have Kate Caverno. I say that right, Kate? It's actually Caverno, but everybody says it wrong, so it's totally fine. (laughs) Well, you can call me Bavolo, okay? All right. I think you should do that. That was totally my fault. Sorry. No, it wasn't at all. And Megan, Megan Schersel. Yes. Hi. Hi, Megan. Hi, Kate. How are you guys? We're great. Okay, so Kate, back to you. We're going to give you a chance to introduce yourself first. Kate Caverno. Yeah. Which I think I've done that on calls like about eight times with you, haven't I? And you've it's never, okay. you're too kind to correct me. Well, people think it's like Spanish or Italian or something, but it's actually Irish and it's Kavanaugh and then it got butchered somewhere along the way. And so now it's just cavern, like a big hole in the rock with, a, with an O on the end. Like an echo, like somebody's yodeling Kavanaugh. in there. Oh, Kavanaugh. I got it. Perfect. Well, now so you'll t- never forget no, I won't. Tell us about yourself. What do you do? How long have you been at Revive? Where are you from? What's your favorite color? Oh, boy. Okay. So I am a senior account executive in the health systems practice here at Revive. And I've been with Revive for a little over a year. Um, happy anniversary to me. Yeah. Um, I, my favorite color is blue, but a very specific shade of blue. Hard to describe. Well, you better try now. You can't just leave our audience hanging with that. It's that really rich blue in the sky. That really dark, rich blue. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, but I moved to Nashville, where I am now, uh, about a year and a little ago from New York City after spending three years there. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We got some good stuff for having me. To weigh in on. And Megan, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? What are you doing? What's your favorite color? So I am a design intern here at Revive in the digital team. Um, I am originally from Wisconsin, Chippewa, Wisconsin, and I moved to the Twin Cities for college. Uh, I've been for Revive for about two months now, and it's been a lot of fun. Cool, cool. And what did you, you went to the University of Minnesota, correct? Yes, the University of Minnesota. So... You know, I've always wanted to ask folks who live in Wisconsin and come to the University of Minnesota, because it goes the other way, too. Like, what what draws you to your enemy state? Because it <laughs> um, is kind of the enemy state. Yeah, my mom's actually from Minnesota, so I have quite a bit of family here and uh, just liked okay. the area, too. So, Okay, cool. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. All right, so... Some stuff, some notes, and then we're going to get to our topics for the day. So, upcoming speaking events. Um... Actually, today, the day of recording this podcast, Chris Boyer is in Park City, Utah. I think he's completed his speaking engagement with the Utah Health Association. Uh, so kudos to Chris for that. Next week, I, when, this is, when this is hitting the airwaves, I will be in Arkansas at the Arkansas Health Association annual meeting in Little Rock. Uh, Boyer, again, is at the Senior Care Marketing Sales Summit in Chicago on October from October 13th to 15th, he's not speaking for three days, but one of those days he's speaking. Uh, I am a keynote speaker for the Modern Healthcare Annual Strategic Marketing Conference in Chicago 
on October 29th, and also speaking at the Healthcare Internet Conference on November 11th with our client and friend, Chris Ernst from El Camino Hospital. And then also don't forget, we have our Payer Provider Summit uh, in Laguna Beach, California from I'm sorry, from November 9th through 11th. And I believe there are still openings for that. So if you're interested, uh, come to our website and check it out. And then uh, before we go on, I want to do one thing. And this comes, this is really geeky. I'm sorry, you guys. But um, this comes from, I'm a huge podcast listener. And I have about 10 podcasts I listen to regularly. And one of them is a podcast on board games. And that's the geeky part. And it kind of is an offshoot of my favorite hobby, which is video games. And then I have listened to a video game podcast for like 10 years. And the people who do it twice a year venture off into board games. And this isn't like Monopoly or Sorry. These are like super intricate board games. They're a blast if you've ever played them. Um, the Settlers of Catan is an example that a lot of people might know. But anyway, the guy who hosts the podcast, his name is Rich Summers. If you're a Mad Men fan, he played Harry Crane on Mad Men. You guys watch Mad Men? I have not. No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> no, wah wah wah. Okay. Well, anyway, he does a podcast on board games, and part of his stick is every episode he picks a featured board game and he pairs it with a cocktail, which I think is hilarious. That sounds fantastic. So, doesn't that sound awesome? So, what I wanted to do was was pimp the fact that we actually have created here at Revive Health our own custom cocktail called the Phoenix. And this is, this is how it was described to me. The Phoenix recipe was developed with painstaking intentionality. It contains three spirits, one for each practice area, and four dashes of bitters, one for each main capability, branding, marketing, PR, and digital. So that was the intent of it. Here's what's in it, just in case you want to replicate this. You've got a half an ounce of Ransom Old Tom Gin. I'm suppose, I suppose you could substitute your own favorite gin for that. A half ounce of Tito's vodka, great vodka. You guys vodka fans? It's a good vodka. Yes, good vodka. This is a heavy drink. My goodness. <laughs> a half an ounce of Rittenhouse rye whiskey. Oh, boy. One ounce of Aperol. 1.25 ounces, and make sure it's 1.25 ounces, of Carpano Antica Formula. No idea what that is. Wow, this is very complex. How many Four. people are... Or how many servings is this? Because that's a lot this of ounces. Is, this is a drink. A drink. <laughs> I guess. Four <laughs> dashes of Angostura bitters, two bar spoons of St. Elizabeth Allspice Drum. Stir all ingredients over ice. Serve either up or on a large rock. Garnish with a flamed orange. Nice. What do you think about that? Isn't that awesome? That is ours. That is our trademark drink here at Revive Health. I love it. I think we need to have a day where we actually try it out. Yeah, that sounds I, fun. I think the plans, and I'm not, I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb here, the plans are to actually package the mix. Oh. You know, actually package it, bottle it, and so we can give it to our friends and clients and prospects um, in the coming year. This drink was invented by our own mixologist, Shannon McIntyre-Hooper, who yeah. is practice lead over our health information technology practice. And so she's a huge cocktail enthusiast, as many of us are, but I think she actually takes it to the next level. Uh, so I have not tried this, but I cannot wait to try it. I think it will be delicious. It will be. It looks amazing. 
We have a yeah, picture of I it. I saw the picture. It, it looks very classy. Yes. We're using it to support an ad we're running that kind of talks about the fact that healthcare is very complex and we love complex challenges here at Revive Health and we make it all seem very simple in the end, clear. And that's what this cocktail looks like is this beautiful piece of art. But as, I, as you heard me read the ingredients, not easy to pull together. So that's how we've tied it all together. A little bit of content marketing for our audience, <laughs> right? Love it. Okay, cool. So sounds like a perfect fall drink for October, which just scares me. Let's get into our content. Um, the first article is something that I saw, but Dana, did you pull this forward? Yeah, I, was, I, I found it in one of the you know alerts I get weekly. Okay. And it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a really good story, but I want to come at it from something that we talk about. We should make this like almost a semi-regular segment. Um, and I, we could call it like fun with mainstream media is our segment title. And the way we come at this, and when I say mainstream media, I'm not using it in the Fox News definition. What I mean by mainstream media is non-healthcare focused media. And every once in a while, we'll stumble across articles by traditional publications. Uh, we have another one that we're going to talk about here in a second. Uh, you know, non-healthcare magazines. This is actually from TechCrunch, so it fits the bill. And it's always funny to us because oftentimes they write about something that's going on in healthcare as if they've just discovered like the sinking of the Louisitania or they've discovered America or Atlantis or something like so amazing that it becomes a news story. Uh, and we in healthcare, how did you put it, Kate, when we were talking about this? You had a saying, you said something like, yeah, that's happening. Something like that. I did. I said, you did. <laughs> You oh, yeah. don't remember? That's happening. I'd say it a lot, I think. Um, so the, the name of this story is The Transition from sick care, sick care to Well Care and the Rise of the Patient Consumer. I'll read just a little bit here. Um, it talks about some of the challenges in the healthcare system in the United States. It then says, this context has produced a dynamic that has spurred massive government intervention and spells new opportunity for incumbents, entrepreneurs, and investors alike. We are on the cusp, and that's the part that I'll circle back to, of a new generation of healthcare, a transition from sick care to well care, aided by the application of technology to help vastly improve individual patient outcomes and lives. No existing stakeholder will be left untouched, which makes us incredibly excited about what will become one of the biggest industry upheavals and revitalizations in history. So that sounds really exciting. Actually, I like how they wrote that. But to Kate's to Kate's forgotten statement. Yeah, that's happening. That's been happening for a while. In fact, I joke because I hear all the time now when I when I hear from health system leaders, the buzzword is consumerism. That's the big buzzword this year. And I'm like, you know, I can remember in 2005, I was giving presentations at conferences on consumerism and that's 10 years ago. So it's weird to me that this is brand new. But what I want to talk to this group about is when I say consumerism in healthcare, what does that mean to you guys? Like, let's just start with that. Some of you have a lot of experience in healthcare. Some of you have very little experience in healthcare. So come at it from whatever angle you want. But when you hear that, what does that, what does that mean to you? Who want just jump in? So consumerism to me is, is having an active 
voice and choice in what it is you're buying. Um, and I think what the article kind of points to is that we're shifting, and I don't know that we're doing it now or we've been shifting to the HSA accounts and, and, and that is sort of causing patients to um, really demand price transparency and, and it's almost a chicken and the egg kind of thing as to what's driving the change. Is it consumerism, quote unquote, of I need to know what I'm buying and so health insurance or payers are going to then change their model or is it this changing model that has patients going, Hey, wait a minute. I don't know what I'm, what I'm getting into. Right. 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 Well, that's, that's kind of been a running joke, right? I mean, what you're pointing, one of the things you're pointing to Kate is the rise in consumer driven health plans, um, which I've always laughed at because that's just an hysterical name. Consumer driven basically means you're paying way more money. Right back in the old days, right when I was your guys' age, most people had insurance that was, hey, I have a ten dollars office copay. I if it's a bad plan, I might have a five hundred dollars deductible, and that's a that's a bad plan, right? Now you know you're paying, you got a three thousand dollars deductible. Like I always talk about myself with my kids, I have a separate plan for my kids, seven thousand dollars deductible before any health insurance kicks in. Plus, I'm still paying a healthy premium for that. Um, and co-pays and all that stuff. So to call it consumer-driven as if consumers go, yeah, I'd love to pay seven grand a year out of my pocket as opposed to you know, what I was paying before. Uh, but that is a huge part of it. That's a huge part of it. That's a really succinct, you did a great job of, of defining it. I think that was a really good, that was a good job. Oh, hey, thanks. I was actually, I was at lunch uh, earlier today, and uh, while I was waiting for my order to come up, there was a girl sitting at the table talking to one of her friends, saying how uh, her premium or her deductible is $1,200, but she has that in her HSA account. So basically, it's like nothing. And I don't know if her employer is contributing to the HSA account or like where that money is coming from, but it's interesting to me that that to her equaled zero like she's not paying because right. you're you, you're paying for it and it's just interesting to me that for her that consumerism was like well it balances out it's okay well you're right it depends her, her employer may be contributing that full twelve hundred dollars but odds are if that's the case they're on a path to contributing not the full twelve hundred dollars right, right. He's just not aware of that yet. Right. So, um, yeah, there's other components of it too that we want to talk about. But Megan, what do you think of, when you hear that, I mean, what do you think about all that? Um, I think most of what you guys just said kind of went over my head. <laughs> As a person that's um, new-ish to the industry and not really, I'm still on my parents' healthcare plan and all of that kind of stuff, so I haven't really had to delve into that. Right. But um, I know when I do, I will definitely have to, be aware and have more involvement and knowledge about the options and the payments and all that kind of stuff. So in that regard, I guess it's just being very savvy and um, have that knowledge of what's going on in your plan and stuff like that. Yeah, you really, you have to, and that's part of this because, because of the changes, the changes in the, really the, the insurance model, you can't just go, yeah, I got a nice plan and I, you know, I've got a few choices for, I want to get my doctor and off I go. The industry is changing so much that you really will have more money at stake, and that's going to force you to um, make choices. There's a lot of folks that believe that that is the solution to a lot of our healthcare ills, is forcing consumers 
uh, to make those choices because healthcare has been a really rare kind of market where the people that spend the money don't know how the money's being spent. So typically when you're buying something, if you're buying a computer or you're buying um, whatever, Coke or whatever it is you're buying, Coke the soda, by the way, you know what you're spending, you know what you're spending, you know what you're spending, you know what you're getting. In healthcare, if you're paying, you know, $300 a month in premiums and that's all you pay, you have no idea what the cost actually is. And therefore, the people that supply that um, product, the hospitals, the health systems, the providers, don't have an incentive to try to drive price down or, or be competitive like they would in other industries. And so there are a lot of folks that believe, hey, we just basically what we have to do is strip away the opaqueness of the market, let people see the true costs, and that's going to change things. I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. Because I think you'll find Megan as you start learning, and and maybe you 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 know Dana and um, Kate, you guys can speak to this. It's it's actually very complex trying to figure out just your insurance options. Plus, let's suppose that you figure out that you need to have some kind of surgery. It's not like buying a can of Coke. It's not like buying a you know a car even. It's extraordinarily difficult to figure out what the right option is. So to, to assume that consumers are going to have enough information and be savvy enough to make the right choice is a big leap. And I think there it's, it's not just cost, it's quality. And, and are the two yeah. related? And should they be related? And I, I'm, I, my gut says yes. But um, even how do you check somebody's quality? And what are those scores based on? And then how does that relate to you know, what you're paying even if you don't know what the cost is and, you know, it's just, and who gets paid, you know, the radiologist plus the physician you're actually seeing plus the nurses taking care of you. Like who's getting what breakdown of all of the the money that you're spending? Yep. Definitely. And it's like any kind of um, thing that, you know, we're expecting some kind of service. We tend to get a quote or have a conversation, maybe even a bid. And healthcare doesn't work like that. So most of the time you're reacting to a bill you received in the mail. Um, and, you know, having a, now having a two-year-old, it's incredible getting that amount of money in a bill and just kind of, you're just kind of like <laughs> shocked, you know, right. and, and then you kind of look at the breakdown and, um, you know, it's just, it is so hard to understand even being, in the industry a bit and and really kind of getting it and then having phone calls i mean spending hours talking to the payer and the provider and it seems like they don't really know quite what's going on and you know it can be really frustrating but i will say the one thing that stood out to me or maybe two things is not a ton of complaints when you take your little child in and they do a really good job so i got that bill and it was expensive but not you know he had my son had to get um I think it was about four or five stitches in his eye, a pretty bad injury. And they did a great job, saved his eye, and he's, he's great. And so that, that was one of those things where I was like, well, as a consumer, just like anything, if I love my computer, if I love my car, I can deal with the, the price, right? Um, you know, and then the, the second thing is maybe it is really something about, well, preventative or, or caring for um, 
healthy people and taking that step rather than focusing so much on sick is a solution. I just don't, I still can't wrap my brain around exactly what that looks like and why that would actually start saving us some money, but it sounds great, right? Right, right? You hear people talk about it, you get excited, but then I kind of go, wait, what's changing? Why is this going to change? And, and I, I just don't feel like I've seen something come out. Um, there's tons of articles that have actually said, well, but this is what's going to happen in the next few years to actually cut down costs and, and stuff. Right. Like that. Yeah. Right. Well, there's, there's definitely a problem of overutilization of care and many people believe that's driven by, I mean, again, it's, it's one of those weird things about this market where demand is actually driven by supply. Like, I mean, if you've taken any economics classes, those are two different things that are not, you know, you know, they're related, but they're um, rarely do you have a market where the person who supplies the product also drives demand. I mean, think about like if you had two gas stations on an intersection and you added a third one, that third gas station is going to drop the volume of gas bought at the other two by definition, right? Assuming the same population, you take a, you take a, you know, like an imaging, two imaging centers on an intersection and you add a third imaging center, you know, shockingly, it doesn't drop the other two. Suddenly there's enough demand for a third one. That's because the people that are providing that actually drive it. So it's just weird market dynamics. When I was doing my MBA, um, to me, I think this is so complex. It's the equivalent of asking consumers to figure out their own retirement for themselves. And I'm not a believer that many consumers can do that. They need professional advice. Like if you don't want to be left at age 72 with no money, you need somebody that understands taxes and investing and how all that changes on an ongoing basis. How we deal with our healthcare is just as complex. And we put together a project that was like, what if you had like a Charles Schwab of healthcare? And it's not about receiving care, but it's about paying like a couple hundred bucks to have somebody help you figure out where is the best place for me to have surgery. Given not just what Kay's talking about, right, with cost and quality, but also experience, like how good is the experience and access, how long does it take to get in to see the doctor and proximity and all those variables that should come into play to make your purchasing decision. Um, You know, I'd pay for a $7,000 deductible. I'd pay a few hundred dollars for somebody to tell me what the best place is. so there's an idea that somebody can steal and make millions of dollars off of because I haven't seen it out there yet. I think there's a few companies out there that are, are thinking about that type of thing. I think it's a little yep. bit more to the employers at this time. Yes, but, that's right. Yeah, but it would be interesting if someone kind of takes a swing at it from what like you're saying more on the consumer side. Like a retail thing, yeah. 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 That to me almost is as important as the, or, or a, an important part of the com- the preventative care component and and knowing. So in that situation, Dana, where your son had, you know, to go to the ER to get this stick, was it out of his eye? Um, I mean, that's a situation where if you don't have it planned out and you don't know where to go, you're caught. And part of that frustration that you feel is, I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know what my options are. And so just having that plan laid out, I think helps to alleviate that part of it. And you should then kind of have an idea of what you're getting into when that happens. Well, you make a really interesting point too, because the stick thing, because it was unplanned and we were also in a small city, small market, we had one choice. It was the closest ER. Um, But what was fascinating was he had some, eating issues 
Oh my gosh, from Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, I, I, I probably would have paid someone for $100 just to sit down and say, you know, because the, the pediatrician tries to do that, but they're not sure. an expert. Right? Right. And right. they're really kind of just going off their gut or maybe they went, like literally we went to the person that the pediatrician went to school with at Vanderbilt, which is great. I don't right. mind. That's I typical. love that. Yeah, <laughs> you, hope, you hope those referrals are, yeah, not, you know, coming from a right. genuine place. But what? Yeah, what do I? You know, what right. do I? Know? It's like pretty much just go. Okay, well, you know, and it ended up being um, we went to a great guy. But I, I think there is something. This is very. I, I like this idea a lot. There, there seems to be actually some good value in that. So yeah, interesting. All right, let's continue the conversation because I want to get to another part of our, our, our new segment, Having Fun with Mainstream Media. The second article is um, from the Star Tribune. So that's the big paper here in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and in St. Paul, Twin Cities. And this was in the Sunday paper. It was like the big story, uh, the big in-depth story. And it says, women are the target of a new medical building boom in Minnesota. Uh, and it's kind of talking about how over the last five years, hospitals have spent a lot of money to include, quote, swank new maternity suites, uh, you know, and other services aimed at women. So, again, it's one of those like, you know, hello, this has been going on for years and years and years. But what I want to talk about is this quote. Statistically, pretty close to 80% of all household health care decisions are made by the female, said Maureen Swan, an Eden Prairie healthcare consultant. They are a core customer beyond their own health care consumption. So the reason I want to talk about that is because, thankfully, we, this isn't a pestle-heavy podcast. And we actually have one <laughs> podcast. Uh, but I'm interested in everybody's opinion because I think this is – well, first of all, let me set this up. This is – um, somebody that I know really well, her name is Ahava Liebtag. She's a consultant uh, in content marketing, super, super bright woman. Um, she knows her stuff. She actually sent out an email uh, about a week ago that's titled Stop the Sexism in Healthcare Marketing. And she was at a workshop where somebody threw out that same statistic. Um, why are we even including a man? Don't we know that 8% of women make household healthcare decisions? So she was like, you know, that doesn't really sound right, which is kind of my perspective. So she goes on to say, in April 2011, Wall Street Journal asked a similar question about general household spending. The paper concluded that attributing 80% of spending influence to women is too high when you factor in all the research. Um, and then somebody else is quoted uh, in, a, in a publication called Marketing to Women that there is never any sourcing for this number. It's become accepted folklore. And as an example... The Department of Labor, so our own government, in 2013 used that statistic, but did not source it. <laughs> so, in other words, it's like this Loch Ness monster kind of thing that's been out there. It's a myth, but nobody can actually prove it. So, to the panel with me today, what's your opinion of that? Do you guys think it's really 80%? And we're going to start backwards with Megan. Um, Megan, you know, I know you're not in a household where you've got kids or a husband, but you, you're on your parents' plan, so you can speak to that personal experience or your friends or whatever. What do you think? Do you think women really make that much of the decisions in healthcare? Um, I'm not sure exact numbers, and I'm not sure how old that statistic would have been either, but I guess I could say that my mom was always the one that took me to the doctor. Like, I guess it was more she was – at home with the kids while my dad was off working and well, my dad actually worked third shift, so he couldn't take me to the doctor as much. So I guess in that sense, 
she would have had to make like on the spot decisions more so than my right. dad in that sense, I guess. Okay. That makes sense. Kate or Dana, what's your personal experience or your thoughts? So I'm, I'm similar. My mom made a lot, I would say probably 99% of the medical choices for our family. Um, in fact, I think we were on her insurance plan. So um, at the very core of it, we were on her, you know, it was her decision. Um, and that was just, you know, logistics at the time. Um, but I think there's also this culture in America of men having to be strong and stoic and not be, you know, they just have to be macho. And so I'm not going to go to the doctor unless I have to. Right. But women are, you know, for better or worse, the caretakers and the ones generally stereotypically taking the kids to the, to the doctor. And, you know, it's okay for a woman to need to go to the doctor more so than, a guy. Sure. Okay. Dana. Yeah, I think it's, gosh, it, it's interesting because um, gender wise, I wonder if it means something different too, because I would think that, you know, daughter, mother relationship, that may be pretty significant, um, which I can't speak to. Um, but um, as far as for me, a lot of it came down to my dad being really invested in my um, athletic career. Um, and so then therefore was very invested in my health and some of those things. So any ortho or thing like that, he was, um, always there, always, um, being part of the decision-making. Um, but I think early on, um, you know, it was probably a little bit more my mother taking me, but as far as, um, I was pretty lucky, I guess. So I, I can't really speak. There wasn't a lot of big decisions. I was pretty healthy. Um, Across the board, but I do wonder if fathers are more involved with their son versus you know father and daughter. Um, I wonder if it runs like that too, which I don't. I don't know if it spoke to that at all. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I get. I think I get my my dander up a little bit because it fits like this. It fits to me that stereotype of the dull dad, which you actually hear about in culture now because a lot of. Um, entertainment kind of treat you know they treat dad that way like dad's just a you know he's a hard worker but when it comes to the family he's a bumbling fool and you know he, he you know he's kind of or the old school like 1958 dad who's sitting in the in the easy chair like bring me my dinner smoking a cigarette you know go get away from me kids you bother me kind of thing um and you know so from my personal experience it, first of all, it's unique because I've I've been divorced, so I've had my kids, you know, on my own half the time. So I don't have a choice. But even before that, I would take them to doctor's appointments. I would be certainly you can divide the, this decision making in terms of financial versus just the care. And if we're talking about just the care, I would still be part of that. Um, and that's part of where I get like a little, you know, I think it, dads are more involved now than they probably have been historically. And it would just seem odd to me that they would not have a say like if the decision came down to my daughter, whether it's whatever gender, right? Needing to have surgery or trying to get by with a broken bone and trying to heal that the dad would just be like, whatever you say, honey, you, you decide. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I just feel like it's way too high. And unless yeah. somebody can prove it to me, which doesn't seem like anybody has that resource. 
I would, if I had to put a number, I'd say it's, I still think it's the majority, but I would put it closer to like 60, like 55 or 60, not 80, which just sounds again, like the, the dad's just a clueless or either clueless or doesn't care or not involved. I mean, they're all negatives to me. So I admit I'm taking this a little personally. Well, and I think 2015, I would totally agree because I've been pretty much, you know, I went to all the the pre-birth classes. Um, yeah. I've taken leads a ton of times by myself, you know, and, and made some big decisions on the spot, not scrambling to call my wife. Um, so from that angle, I think you're dead on. I, and, um, you know, I, I think what I'm trying to remember the, what it's called, but it's more like partners are making decisions together kind of across the board. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the statistics. I wish I did. Cause it'd be a little bit more. 80%. I'm sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, I think now 80% 2015. That's right. Don't quote me, but um, partners are making decisions financially, you know, medically um, housing, I think is another big thing too. So I, I think it's actually an interesting topic. And to me, it would I think you're right. It, those types of decisions, either gender, it, it just seems to be way more around a 50-50 kind of thing or a mutual decision together. Um, so I'm surprised that they came out with that now because it doesn't seem to be um, w- w- something that would make sense currently. If, if you're telling me in the ni- you know, 1970s, 1980s, I'd be like, oh, that, I guess that probably sounds right. Or even back, like you said, probably even more so the, the, like in the 50s. Um, but I just don't, I think as a father too, I definitely agree with you. I'm very invested in, um, my one child and soon to be uh, second on its way. And I'm going to be very up to it. Adam, who we love being on the podcast, has been on the podcast a ton. He is very involved, yeah. very smart, very researched. Um, so I think in that sense, you've got me worked up now. That's good. I was. <laughs> did you, did you just drop like a baby bomb on us? Yeah. I didn't know you were expecting number two. I think there there was a Facebook post. No, I actually didn't. I see. We haven't done the social media thing on the second one because it it wasn't planned. So it's kind of been. It's it's out there now. It's out there, everyone. All those podcasters that listen, we are expecting (laughs) New Year's Eve. Wow! Awesome. Yeah. So I will be. I will be the twenty percent that will attend. Hey, I'm going to guess that you had a say in the decision that led to the to your new baby. I mean, whether it was planned or not, there was some decisions, some kind of foul <laughs> things going on in your house. I mean, come on, that's a huge decision right there. That's right. It's usually shared. Usually. Yeah. Hope. Yeah. yeah. Right? I think All this right. is taking a turn. Is. Let's stop Get it right there. No, yeah. Let's wrap it up. We're, we're, we're getting up to the end of our time, but I don't want to, I can never just end with like all business. So, um, as usual, when we have guests on, we like to try to at least learn a little bit more about them. And I know our default is always TV, right? It's not what we always talk about, but I asked, um, before Kate joined, um, before the podcast, I asked Megan, I said, you know, what are you, what are you interested in? Are you a TV watcher? And she said, yes, I love TV, but I don't have cable. And so that just made me go, what? <laughs> let's talk about that for five seconds, right? And, and Kate, I want to get your view on this too because we don't know what your TV proclivities are. But so how, how does it feel to be someone who loves TV but doesn't have cable? Is it restricting? Do you like it? You know, what's your, what shows do you like? Is this just like this foreign concept for me? I think it's definitely a lot easier to watch TV now without cable than it used to be. Um, Netflix, of course. Uh, I watch The Voice and Grey's Anatomy. Those have both started back up. And so those are on the 
channels that I can get an antenna with. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then besides that, I basically just watch the Food Network when I'm at the gym. Nice. What do so you watch on Netflix? There. What do you watch on Netflix? Um, I'm actually currently watching Alias. Alias. Have you heard of okay. that? See, it's a CIA, CIA show. Okay, CIA. That just shows how old I am, right? When I hear like... <laughs> When I seriously, when you said I love watch TV, but I don't have cable, my thought is, what do you watch on four channels? You're <laughs> getting like Amazon and Netflix and all the other things you can get. So my bad, Kate. So what about you? You got any favorite shows you want to share with people? Um, I, I do watch Grey's. I'm probably one of the the few left. So did Megan? Did you watch last night's? Spoiler alert. Yes, see, yes, I did. Oh, see, I was going to say that's the, the hookup or the, the hiccup there is that like the people who have cable like myself will, will watch and then I can't comment on social media about <laughs> it because all my friends who don't have cable are like, wait, don't spoil it. I haven't seen it yet because they have to wait the day or two before it's posted. I think we should start, we should start a, right now, we should start some kind of movement because I am firmly against that, right? I mean, there's a, give it like maybe maybe an hour or something, but you know, they're spoiling your ability to talk about exactly. the show. Stay off social media until you're ready. Whose responsibility is it? It's not it? my fault that you That's didn't watch right. it. I'm with you totally. When I miss <laughs> a show that I really want to watch, I avoid. I don't I don't look at any of the right. blogs I read exactly. any headlines. I certainly don't look at social media because you're owning your own what, what am I supposed watching. to do? Exactly. Go out to Twitter and like chastise every single person on Twitter who happens to talk about a show? I mean, how dare you watch <laughs> something when it airs? That's right. That's just terrible. Yeah, so, I, I avoided all social media the day the Breaking Bad finale aired because I couldn't watch it until the next day. But I was not spoiled, so that was very, very happy day for Megan. Yeah, that's right. I was in the same place. I was actually at Shushman, the big healthcare conference I'm going to in a couple of weeks. And we were there that, that night, that Sunday night. I think it was a Sunday night. And um, yeah, I mean, I just avoided everything. And I downloaded it in my hotel room the next morning so I could watch it because I knew I wouldn't get through the day without cutting <laughs> off or seeing a headline or something. But it's kind of on me. It's my job. It's my responsibility. Well, it's come to the point where like, I just don't even talk about it on social media anymore because I don't want somebody to yell at me because it's happened too many times. So I, you know what? Fine. I just won't talk about it. <laughs> well, but that's no fun then. I know, but I, I, I would rather keep my friends. So, Well, maybe you need some new friends. Maybe. maybe. some friends who have a different perspective on spoiling. All of my friends who are listening, watch out. That's right. I'm sure they're all listening. They're regular they listening. They are. They all know, and so they're all tuning in. They will be now. That you I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. All right, Dana, we didn't give you a chance. I think you've had the TV conversation before, but name one show that you're excited about right now. Do you still watch TV? Oh, yeah. Um, it's called The NFL. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm, I, can't, I don't know why I like the show so much, but uh, Chicago PD. For oh, it's so good. It's just it's one of those silly, you know, dramatic, very dramatic um, but my wife and I are signing back up for Netflix um, for the second one, and we're going to dive into West Wing. Wow, nice. I haven't done West that. Great. So, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, we got TV covered again. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. We better wrap it up because I think we're, we're pushing our limit with our folks. Yeah, our audience. As soon as we start getting up to 40 minutes, they start dropping off like flies. We can see them. We have special technology. We can see people are listening, even though this is recorded and then – uploaded later 
<laughs> we're able to note that and we kind of timed it out. So. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to um, sign us off, but Kate and Megan, thanks so much for joining us. We really yeah, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have you back. And Dana, as always, thanks for helping. Of course. So for the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast, this is Chris Bevelo. And Dana hey. Weymouth. Megan Chirisel. And Kate Caverno. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye.